This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Tuesday edition of Talk Back. Talk Back brought to you this morning by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery with authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy. And I can tell you from personal experience, they are delicious. They're located out on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, offering residential and commercial cleaning. So whether it's your home or your business, no job is too big or small. So give Phillips Janitorial a call right now and get a free estimate or just book your job at 406. 406- 6-2-6-0-6-6-1-7. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, here it is. It's uh, TalkBack and Global Hotspots is the focus today. Joining us here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. How are you? Good morning, Nick, Peter. You bet. And also uh, joining us on the phone right now, Dr. Mirdad Kia from his palatial offices at the University of Montana History Department, high above overlooking his kingdom and stuff. Anyway, also, Nick Questionson is joining us in the studio, and he's our producer, and he is waiting. His fingers are poised over the uh, over the phone bank, waiting to take your calls, 721-1290. So, gentlemen, uh, the floor is yours. It's Global Hotspots. I'm assuming you want to talk about the big balloon thing that occurred this week. So, gentlemen, go for it. Well, good morning, Peter and Nick. Thank you very much for having us again. And it always makes me laugh when, uh, Peter, you say palatial office, because my office is basically two steps to the north and two steps to the south. And that's the size of my office. Anyway, it is funny. Well, you, now uh, you rem- remember, Mirdad, you have to remember this, the radio is the theater of the mind, okay? <laughs> so, so, so we get to create anything, any image we wanted, people say. Yeah, you, you just ruined it. But, but, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Our former governor used to talk about our, our, you know, wood paneled offices and leather chairs. I, I, you should have seen the upholstered dump that I was in for 34 years. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, go ahead. Let's talk about it. Well, uh, we have a situation with, a balloon flying over uh, our airspace. Of course, the Chinese Foreign Ministry, uh, which has acknowledged that the balloon came from China, is now claiming on its website that it was a civilian airship. That's what they're calling it, uh, which was used for research, mainly weather-related purposes, and that it had deviated uh, far from its planned course because of strong winds and a lack of steering ability. Of course, uh, as soon as this came out, uh, Pentagon officials dismissed uh, these claims as hot air, and they maintained (laughs) that the balloon was clearly meant for surveillance, and uh, it it had the ability to maneuver. But uh, what struck me was the size of this balloon, Uh, and uh, its capabilities, Uh, 200 feet tall, uh, that's what it says, uh, and uh, roughly four times the size of the Snoopy balloon at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, uh, which makes it a very large uh, sort of balloon and uh, clearly uh, made uh, for security and surveillance purposes, 
Uh, but now the controversy, as um, most of our listeners know, is why it was not shut down earlier. For example, or you know, before it enters U.S. territory, or uh, even Alaska, you know, to uh, the Northwest, and uh, why was it the delay in responding to it? Which brings me to Mike and asking him for his opinion. Yeah, it, it is. It is very curious. It, it, we don't know enough to really to comment very intelligently on, uh, on on this episode yet. We don't know exactly what the balloon capabilities were, uh, what they did. I don't know if there is some advantage to flying more slowly. I don't know what the, the balloon would be able to reveal that uh, a low-orbit low satellite doesn't reveal already, but maybe flying more slowly and able to gather things in a, in a different way or more accurately. But, I mean, already from space, you can get pictures with resolution that's just unbelievable. So it's, it's hard to know exactly what advantage it is, but maybe we'll find out uh, either in a week or two when this has been analyzed or maybe a lot later. Uh, as to the response, it it's baffling. But again, we don't really know what they knew. The administration is now claiming that, well, they gathered counterintelligence from it as it went, as it went across and we, and, and then they shot it down. Um, uh, if, if you believe that one, I'll, uh, I'll sell you a bridge in, in Brooklyn, but it's, uh, it's, it's a very strange, it really is a strange uh, incident. But on the other hand, at the simplest level, you have uh, a foreign, um, basically hostile foreign power flying uh, a very slow aircraft over the continental United States. Well, gentlemen, if it hadn't been for a, a very observant yeah. uh, a reporter in Billings who looked up in the sky and said, there's a, there's a great big old balloon up there and and so when they finally got some photos of it and some really good resolution photos they realized this is not just any any old balloon and so god bless the people in billings for paying attention yeah yeah and and uh, you know what is curious building on what just uh, what mike was just saying uh the payload uh in this balloon probably weighed in excess of a couple thousand pounds uh, so he was carrying something significant. And what it was, as Mike said, you know, we have to wait for the analysis and reports and so on and so forth. Uh, the fact that it actually ended up uh, with one of our uh, good citizens in Billings telling us, rather than the government earlier on to be on top of it, is worrisome to me. And uh, it actually tells me that they are sort of scrambling to say, no, they were aware of it, but they didn't respond. And then they went even one step further, and they said that this is not the first time it has happened. Uh, in fact, it happened uh, during the Trump administration. Uh, the Trump administration, including uh, President Trump, has said that uh, and something like this never happened during his uh, administration. So... I think there is a scrambling to sort of uh, defend the position, uh, but the more they do it, I think it raises more questions. It really does, especially the idea that this happened. They did that based on ex post facto telemetry. Looking back, we see telemetry that indicated it might have happened um, or earlier on. Um, it does sound like they're just scrambling to cover their behinds. Yeah. 
Well, and with that, gentlemen, we're up against a break. So 721-1290 is our number. Uh, We will get into all sorts of really, you know, real global hot spots uh, when we come back. They are definitely loaded for bear here in in, in our studio and, of course, on the phone. Phone lines are open, so if you'd like to join into the conversation, please feel free. 721-1290 is our number. We're coming right back. Need bucks? We are back on Global Hotspots, special edition of Talk Back this morning. Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. Dr. Mirdad Kia uh, at his office at the University of Montana. And, okay, gentlemen, so which direction would you like to go now? Well, I think it's also worthwhile to mention that in the past few days we have had a tremendously uh, destructive earthquake uh, which uh, shook Turkey, but also the surrounding area. It was felt all the way in Israel and Egypt. And uh, the result of it, the devastation, as of this morning when I was checking it, 5,000 people killed and uh, enormous amount of destruction. Uh, Turkey's, uh, the so-called Anatolian fault system, I mean, Turkey is on an earthquake sort of uh, fault, and um, uh, the situation, the devastation has been such that uh, the president of Turkey, Erdogan, uh, this morning announced three-month state of emergency in the quake area because in certain villages and towns there are no buildings standing anymore. And uh, the the devastation is just uh, apparently enormous. And it reminds me of uh, what uh, my good friend Mike uh, always told me, that earthquakes do not kill, buildings do. And uh, Turkey is a country with horrible, uh, horrible building and construction uh, sort of regulations. Um, uh, cheaply made cement buildings uh, without abiding with uh, rules and regulations. The result is this devastation, it, which it, we now feel. It, it, it reminds one of, of the of the devastating uh, hurricanes, it, what they did to Haiti, and, and the fact right. that the infrastructure there was also very poorly done. And so, you know, thousands and thousands more people died or suffered unnecessarily because of the fact that they simply didn't have the funds to have decent infrastructure. Right. Or think back to the um, earthquake in San Francisco in 89, which was devastating. But fewer than 100 people were killed, and most of those were killed when a highway collapsed on an- another highway. The buildings did not kill very many people because of building codes in, in a city that obviously needs them because it's in a tectonically active area. But just a few months later, uh, Meredith may have the date on that, there was a, in, in, in the Soviet Union, there was an earthquake and tens of thousands of people were killed. Uh, an earthquake that was actually of somewhat less magnitude. Yeah, and that, that tells you that these building codes in these kinds of situations is absolutely essential. And, uh, of course, uh, Turkey has a very corrupt system in terms of its construction regulations with a little bit of bribery, construction companies basically get to build wherever they want to and however they want to build it, and the result is devastating uh, for the country when an earthquake hits. It is of some interest uh, that a week or so before this earthquake, another earthquake hit, uh, 
northwestern Iran, and that was also a very devastating earthquake. And uh, a lot of people have uh, died and uh, injured, have been injured. But uh, it's also interesting that, uh, and quite disturbing, that in that case, too, uh, it was actually the collapsed buildings which killed uh, rather than, um, you know, rather than anything else, which also shows that Iran, which also suffers from a very poor uh, building standards uh, has suffered as a result of this, too. Amir, Dad, yeah. we do have a caller on the line. Jeff is waiting to visit with both you gentlemen. Jeff, good morning. You're on the Global Hotspots. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning, all. Um, yeah, uh, I know I pretend to have expertise in a lot of areas, but actually intelligence is one of the areas where I do have a lot of expertise. And uh, there's a whole th- bunch of things about this balloon that I don't think folks would realize, and that's um, if you're looking at signals, uh, the Earth's atmosphere absorbs signals at certain frequencies. Um, So there's certain frequencies you really can't uh, intercept from space. You have to do that from the ground. And also there are uh, signals that are line of sight. They're very, very tight, what we call beamless. And so they're going to be very directional and point one direction. And unless you can uh, get in that pattern, you're not going to really be able to intercept that signal. And um, you may not be able to intercept it for long. You need to loiter and make sure that you can get it. Um, and then it, as far as uh, photography, folks have said that, well, we can do it from space. So why would they do it from a balloon? Well, a balloon gives you, you know, a much, much closer picture, so you can make out details that you can't make out in space. Um, Details that might be very, very important. And also, uh, space gives you one angle, just directly overhead pretty much. And whereas if you have a balloon, you can take it from very oblique angles and get a better three-dimensional picture of what's going on. So there's all sorts of advantages to doing it from a balloon. And I think it's just unconscionable that we let this happen without doing anything about it. Yeah. So the balloon apparently had been flying at about 60,000 feet, which is, from my calculation, is close to 12 miles. Um, I might be completely mistaken, but that's, that's what I think it is. And Jeff is absolutely correct. That allows you a far more accurate and far more uh, in-depth sort of images that can be analyzed uh, in a much more uh, exact and precise fashion. Uh, But uh, it's also very interesting that the Pentagon is basically not telling us exactly what it was doing. Um, uh, And it's very interesting because... uh, um they said that, uh, uh, you know, the debris have given them the opportunity to assess what uh, this was actually doing uh, and what kind of capabilities existed on the balloon. But they haven't told us what kind of transmission capabilities existed. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you will ever hear about it, but that would be the part that I would be most curious about. Jeff, any comment before we have to take a break? I agree wholeheartedly that, um, that, that, that 
transmission back and forth, transmit and receive, is very important. What were they doing? Because apparently they could steer this by going up and down in altitude. I don't know if they had anything else to steer it, but at least by going up and down they could steer it. And that means that they had real-time or near-real-time connection with the balloon. So how were they doing that? And, uh, yeah, there's a whole series of questions around this that – and some of it we'll probably never know because it's probably very sensitive information. And again, you don't want to give up your methods and sources, but, uh, but there's some generic stuff that they could be honest with us about. And, uh, I mean, president, uh, uh, president Johnson, uh, admitted the, the presence of the SR 71 back in the sixties existence of it. And, uh, you know, he didn't give away any of the capabilities, and uh, but he did admit that it existed. And so, um, you know, the government could be that forthright with us now. All right, gentlemen, we're up against another break. Jeff, thanks for the call. Thanks for your expertise. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. Uh, we're going to come right back. More with Global Hotspots. All of our phone lines are open, except for the one that is taken up by, uh, by Dr. Mirdad Kia. Dr. Michael Mayer joining us here in the studio. And uh, Global Hotspots will continue after this. Welcome. And we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. This is at Global Hotspots. Uh, Dr. Mirdad Kia on the phone and uh, Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. And we have Dave. Dave, good morning. You're on with our guests. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning. I would like to talk about the Philippines. Uh, in 1992, the, the Philippine government kicked our military out of, out of uh, the Philippines, specifically Subic Bay. Now, I just recently heard that that our government is going to send, spend ninety million dollars to build a new base, I guess, in Subic Bay, and I, I assume this is a major problem for the Chinese having a, a military base so close to their their country, and a real change in the world as we see it. Gentlemen, your 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 uh, thoughts about that, uh, Mirdad and Michael, go ahead. Thanks, Dave. Um, Mike, you want It was November 24th, I think, if I'm not mistaken, when the stars and stripes were lowered uh, at Subic Bay, and the Philippine national flag was hoisted. The base closer ended. The American military presence uh, that began with the capture of the Philippines from Spain in 1898. But the comment on uh, the causes of it, I will leave it to Mike. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I mean, it, it, what the Chinese were up to, and obviously nobody knows. Um, that may have been one of the factors um, that, that, that motivated their, their decision. Uh, I think it may be more likely to see they were just testing to see how the administration would respond to um, a balloon floating over the United States. It was like a probe. Yeah, exactly. And also to, to see how long it took them to make a decision, to see how long it took them to uh, act on that decision and so on. And so uh, that, I, I think that may be somewhat more likely, but it, it may have something to do with the, uh, with, the, with the new military base in the Philippines. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, we have about, uh, let's see, we have about, what, two and a half minutes? Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we have about two and a half minutes before we have to take our, our hard break here at the top of the hour. Uh, should we try to get one more call in? Skip, good morning. You're on TalkBack. Sure. Go ahead, sir. Good morning, Peter. And and Dr. Key, I, I had a question ha- having to do with Afghanistan uh, last night and the night before. I saw some PBS programming about how women are treated and their lack of ability to get education now and all of the rules and regs and the and the beatings and it was horrible so i was wondering could you please explain the essence of the the people in charge the taliban uh where did they get their their belief that they're that this this is all okay i'm sure it's religion based and uh, or something that that they keep coming back and doing the same thing would you please explain the essence of them anointing themselves to be able to do this to people I appreciate it, sir. All right, thank you. And we have about a minute and a half, gentlemen, and we could continue this. No, we could continue this on into the next hour. So, uh, I, that, th- I think we should. Yeah. I think we should because this is a very important uh, question, and I thank Skip for bringing it up. Uh, I have uh, said it on many occasions that uh, Afghanistan, just like its neighbor to the west, Iran, is ruled by a religious fascist. Uh, government. Uh, this, these, these are fascists who use Islam uh, as an ideology, as a political ideology, to impose their rule and to impose a very strict and very fundamentalist and extremely, extremely reactionary uh, version of this religion on their own population. Uh, according to their interpretation of Islam, uh, women uh, are inferior to men uh, on all issues, uh, from testimony in court, uh, where uh, the testimony of one man is countered by testimony of two women uh, in case of inheritance, when women yeah. receive half of what a man receives we, uh, we, from their parents. We're up against our hard break. We'll come back, continue after the top of the hour. Weather brought to you Mostly cloudy skies heading into Tuesday with lows around 30 degrees and highs continuing to reach just above 40. It's the calm before the storm, though, as rain moves in on Tuesday night, becoming mixed with snow overnight as temperatures drop and all snow by Wednesday morning. Winds could be gusty as well. Not expecting a lot of snow in the valleys, maybe half an inch. But the passes could see 5 to 10 inches of snow, so keep that in mind if you're traveling midweek. From the Town Square Weather Center, I'm Dennis Bragg. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's news and weather station. Welcome back, everybody. The Tuesday edition of Talkback Global Hotspots continues. Sponsored this morning by Phillips Janitorial. No job is too big or small, whether it's for your home or for your office. I get a free estimate at 260-6617. And if you're hungry, come on by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery for all your New York favorites like Lox, New York Cheesecake, which is fabulous, by the way. They have the most delicious desserts right there at Brooklyn Bagel located on North Reserve. 
The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we are back on TalkBack. It's Global Hotspots. Our guests on the phone, uh, Dr. Mirdad Kia here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. And we were, uh, we, we do have a guest, uh, a, a caller waiting. So if you don't mind, we want to just take a few extra seconds to go ahead and uh, finish the conversation we had about what's going on in Afghanistan. So, Mirdad, you were holding forth. Please go ahead. Yes, and, uh, you know, to continue on what we were, uh, I was mentioning, I think it's essential to understand that these are political movements which have seized power by using Islam. So they have converted a religion into a political ideology, and they are using that political ideology to basically impose a very strict and highly oppressive and tyrannical form of religious dictatorship. In that, in that context, uh, what they have done is, of course, is a set of policies which are discriminatory to all citizens, men and women. But women, in particular, are viewed as lower class uh, and, in fact, uh, uh, more deserving of oppression and control so veiling has been reimposed, uh, um, very strict, uh, uh, not only clothing, but also behavioral sort of rules have been imposed. Uh, but even more amazing, and this is uh, quite shocking in 2023, all universities and colleges uh, have been closed down, uh, and uh, those that have remained open I cannot accept any female applicants or students. Uh, so basically, women are forced back into their homes. They have to act as uh, loyal daughters, loyal sisters, and loyal wives. Uh, their only uh, sort of right is reproductive, meaning they just give you know birth to children. Uh, this is you know what I would refer to uh, to Taliban as is an evil, basically, a very evil and very fascistic sort of form of government. And uh, what is incredible to me, uh, and I have to say this, is that we abandoned Afghanistan and we left a multi-billion dollar uh, army uh, with the most sophisticated weapons in the hands of these terrorists uh, who have brought only... Uh, death, torture, rape, uh, and the worst kind of government. And, uh, it, you know, uh, the present administration acts as if uh, it's ancient history, and we don't have to worry about it. But I, but I worry about it every day, and I, I grieve for the people of Afghanistan because they come from a very ancient history, very ancient civilization, uh, my experience with uh, with the people of Afghanistan, I was uh, I was raised. I went to school with very dear friends from Afghanistan. Uh, they are some of the kindest and the most hospitable people you can find. And now they are held hostage by this kind of government. And is there only I, I'm not going to be able to improve on that. There are only a couple of things that I would add. 
Uh, one of them is, Skip mentioned, a PBS documentary. He might check back and see what PBS was saying about the war in Afghanistan for uh, a number of years. Uh, and they're surprised now that the Taliban are imposing uh, tyrannical restrictions on women. Uh, they, they may be the only people in the world who are. Uh, the other thing is that the weapons Meridad mentioned have tur- already turned up in the hands of terrorists all over the world. Yeah, and the, the, the other thing we should emphasize is that uh, they have already reopened the borders of Afghanistan uh, to various terrorist organizations, and uh, among them ISIS, of course. Uh, they are training them. But also, let us not forget that Afghanistan is one of the largest producers and export, uh, exporters of illegal drugs, uh, from opium to hashish to just go down the list. And uh, Taliban makes billions of dollars uh, from drug dealing. Uh, the drugs come, of course, through Central Asia and Russia to European and American markets. And uh, they have a very, very negative impact on the neighbors and how the governments around Afghanistan are corrupted by the drug money in their economy. Gentlemen, we're up against our first break. We have two folks waiting. We have Helena and Larry who both want to visit with you. Global Hotspots will continue. By the way, several other phone lines open. If you have a question or comment, our number is 721-1290. We'll be back after this. Weather brought... Mostly cloudy skies heading into Tuesday with lows around 30 degrees and highs continuing to reach just above 40. It's the calm before the storm, though, as rain moves in on Tuesday night, becoming mixed with snow overnight as temperatures drop and all snow by Wednesday morning. Winds could be gusty as well. Not expecting a lot of snow in the valleys, maybe half an inch, but the passes could see 5 to 10 inches of snow, so keep that in mind if you're traveling midweek. From the Town Square Weather Center, I'm Dennis Bragg. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And we are back on Talk Back. It's Global Hotspots. We are uh, back here in the studio with Dr. Michael Mayer on the phone with Dr. Mirdad Kia. And folks have been waiting to talk with you, gentlemen. So Helena is up first. Helena, thank you for your patience. Go ahead, please. No, thanks for taking my call. I um, wanted to turn our topic a little bit to the neighboring country of Afghanistan um, and the protests in Iran. Um, and ask for a little bit of an update. Um, we've had some developments there, uh, sort of related developments, one of which was um, the Grammy awarded to the Iranian singer um, Shervin Halipur for his song Baraye, which has kind of become the anthem um, of the protest. And I found it interesting that in the aftermath of that, the regime announced it would be... Um, 
I don't, uh, granting some um, uh, uh, less less uh, strict jail sentences for activists it has jailed in the wake of the protests. I was wondering if your um, guests could comment on the situation in Iran. Thank you. Very good point, Helena. Thank you. Beardad, go ahead. Yeah, so baraye, um, which means literally baraye means for, F-O-R. Uh, but it's actually because of in this case. And it's a, I, I uh, urge all our listeners to listen to it. Uh, it, it is, of course, in Persian, but it has uh, English subtitles. And uh, Baraye uh, is spelled as B-A-R-A-Y-E. Baraye, B-A-R-A-Y-E. And um, um, it is um, an incredible song uh, made and sung by uh, Sherwin Hajipur, who is a young Iranian musician and a singer from northern Iran. He's from the Caspian province of Mazandaran. And uh, he sang this by patching up all the messages and tweets he had received after the recent uprising. And uh, when he patched it up, he realized it could be a lyric, you know, what people had sent him. So he put it together and put a song to it, and it just hit it. And if I'm not mistaken, it has been downloaded now by 40 million people, 4-0, which gives you a sense of how popular this song has become. And Helena is right. It has become the anthem of the Iranian uh, revolution. Uh, uh, but um, for, an, for an update, I would say that we have nearly 600 people killed in Iran. Uh, we have almost 20,000 people still jailed, and uh, it, it has not been completely silenced and suppressed, but a combination of massive violence by the state, as well as a very cold winter, and uh, also uh, the fact that uh, I think uh, after four months, people maybe needed a little bit of break, there has been a there has been a little bit of decline, but as of last night, there were still protests and rallies in various towns and cities. Uh, the the issue with this one is that uh, I think everybody agrees that you cannot return to the status quo before this uprising started, because the government, the Islamic regime in Iran has basically lost all its legitimacy in the eyes of the Iranians, the majority of Iranians. And the most recent poll clearly indicated that over 80, 85% of the population opposed the regime and they actually wish to overthrow it. Now, what is also very recent as of Sunday, which I shared with Mike, was that uh, one of the leaders of Iran, who was actually a prime minister under Khomeini, has also come out uh, to Mr. Musavi to express his solidarity with the protest, which actually shows that the cracks are now showing up within the Iranian ruling establishment. The type, well, go ahead, Mike. And yeah, then we'll I, take I, a call. I had a couple of questions from Erdad that I think uh, would be helpful. One, one is... Um, 
could 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 you look at this? You know, we're talking about the waxing and ra- waning of the protests. Look at this as almost a continuous revolution since 2017, with a break for COVID. Uh, that that has that has uh, sort of at, at times been more active, at times a little less, but it's been continuous. And it's a, and I, I mentioned 2017 because that's the point at which, as as you told me, that the, the they really turned away from uh, protests for reform to protests against the regime itself. And then the other question uh, that that struck me is as we were talking about uh, Musavi was um, what what is this guy about? Um, is it a case of of so-called reformer who was constrained by the clergy when he was in power, uh, or is it a question of a change of heart, or is he simply the most uh, cynical uh, political actor that you could find? Yeah, so uh, I, I think Musavi has been under house arrest since 2009, the Green Uprising. I think anybody who has been sitting at home under house arrest and um, he has been denied even the right to come out and speak to people. Uh, I think at one point you 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 explode with frustration and rage. You know, he was a prime minister. He was very well respected. And uh, now he has been silenced. And I think after waiting at home under house arrest for so long, he has decided there is no way to reform this regime. And I think a lot of reformers like him uh, have come to the same basically conclusion. I think there's also something else happening, and that is the economic issues in Iran, uh, 800% inflation, uh, and massive unemployment, uh, massive degradation of the environment, and disappearance of rivers and lakes in a country which was famous for them. Uh, and, and of course, uh, the fact that uh, the, the the suppression has been so brutal uh, with cases of rape and uh, and murder uh, of the leaders and the students who uh, came to the streets. I think they, they have made it almost nearly impossible for even the most ardent reformers within the regime to conceive the possibility of reforming this regime. Gentlemen. So I think they are all joining uh, the let's overthrow this regime slogan. Let's uh, let, let's get a call in. Larry has been waiting a very long time. Larry, thank you for your patience. You're on with our guests. Go ahead, sir. Yes, I. Uh, it's fascinating the way that uh, social unrest inspires music that uh, seems to carry through and uh, allows people to vent their feelings. And uh, while we're on uh, nasty regimes, I wanted to kind of bring that back to the uh, earthquakes over in Syria and Turkey, and uh, I've heard that uh, there's a reluctance by the international community to help Syria out because of all the the nastiness they've done and uh, the havoc they've wreaked on their own people. And I wondered if you could comment on uh, that as well as Turkey, our uh, reluctant uh, NATO partner, and uh, if. The international aid we provide will maybe change their attitude a little bit towards NATO. All right. I'll hang up. Larry, thanks for the call. Thank you so much. We're up against a break, and and our our guests will definitely answer that. We also have Emmett, Rick, and Marilyn all wanting to get on on Global Hotspots. Thank you for your patience. We'll try to get you all on as quickly as we can right after this quick timeout. Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. 
A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Okay, we're back on TalkBack 721-1290. Gentlemen, I know you wanted to address the last caller, so, uh, or, or we, yeah. No, we're just going to go directly to Emmett. Didn't we have Larry's question? Oh, yes, yeah, we well, Larry's question. Please go ahead, gentlemen. In in terms of, uh, I don't think anybody is going to question the uh, the uh, the horror of Syria's regime, but uh, nations have been pouring aid in. In fact, I saw this morning that Israel is is sending aid to um, uh, to, to Syria of all places. So I, th- I think the humanitarian impulse has probably um, overcome the revulsion at the at, at the Syrian regime. Yeah, the the issue is uh, less than two weeks ago I had a very distinguished Syrian lady in my in my office at our center at the University of Montana and um, uh, to the question I asked how is it going and she comes directly from she was coming directly from Damascus was uh, a very simple answer there is no Syria left uh, because uh, part of the country is occupied by Russians. Part of it is occupied by the Iranians. Uh, Russians and Iranians are keeping the regime, the Assad regime, uh, in power. Part of the country is run by Assad and his own army and security forces. There is also uh, a part that is run by the Kurds. And then there is a part of uh, the country which has been occupied by Turkey. Uh, There is no Syria, uh, basically. And if people are hesitant uh, to go and help, it's not because of lack of humanitarian impulses. It's because they don't know who's running uh, various parts of the country and whether uh, the aid workers are going to be secure on the ground. This is one of the biggest things. And, of course... uh, underground cells of ISIS, uh, the terrorist organization ISIS, are still operative in Syria as well. So you have a, really a messy situation in which uh, there is a failed state that cannot really impose its authority, and uh, uh, different parts of the country are run by different powers, and as such, it's very difficult uh, to know uh, what needs to be done under these circumstances. All right, let's uh, move on and get another caller in. This is Emmett. Emmett, thanks for holding. You're on with our guests on Global Hotspots. Go ahead. Well, thanks for taking my call. Well, my question is this, or a comment, kind of both. I mean, I agree, it's just horrible what's going on in Afghanistan. It's, the Taliban is horrible. Um, and the way we exited um, um, Afghanistan was simply a disaster. If I had been president, I would have shut down the um, Afghanistan war, gotten our troops out. But I would have gotten the civilians out first. Any refugees who wanted to get out, they would have gotten out first, escorted by the Army and our military and the Marines. And then I would have loaded up all the equipment and military gear so no one else, no one, no one else can get a hold on it. Then everything would have been done in proper order. I mean, I guess my, idea, my, my comment is, is that... Um, 
We can't have endless war for endless peace. We're not the police officers of the world. We have to end that war somehow. So I think the reason the Taliban has gotten get back in control it was because it was a, such a horrible exit. I cannot believe how terrible the exit was. So we're just as fault as anybody else, but we just can't believe the police officers of the world. And I know that we're, this is a global hotspot, but we've got a hotspot with the State of the Union address. And Joe Biden, Mr. Biden, is going to put his best spin on everything and the state of our union. If I were the president, I'd be giving a very dystopian speech, a nihilistic one about just how bad things are in this country right now, how our union isn't strong. I'd be pointing out all the problems and trying to give solutions. So it'd be very dreary, but i tell it like it is. It wouldn't be very popular. So how, how, what do you guys think? About well, the, yeah, welcome, my idea welcome to the fabulous world of politics, Emmett. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so ge- gentlemen, Emmett, thanks for the call. Gentlemen, your response. <laughs> well, that, that would be a zinger of a speech, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, the, uh, as to as fir- Emmett's first point, um, the, uh, the idea that it, the, the war had to end, and I think most people agree on that, uh, but the way it was ended was uh, appallingly inept. And uh, and has had has had really serious consequences. As for the State of the Union, um, that's not the way they go. But usually it's a laundry list. Usually they're pretty boring. But um, Biden gave that uh, dystopian speech with their bathed in red light, and it got pretty bad reviews. So I'm guessing that doing that again I, would, would would not be the wisest thing he could he could do. Yeah, there are ways of uh, ending wars, and there are ways of ending wars. I mean, there is one way of ending war by um, by four in the morning, the way we did it. So when the Afghan forces woke up and to have their breakfast, they realized their American allies had abandoned them without any uh, advance notice. And that actually undermined and, and damaged the credibility of the uh, United States. And, of course, leaving behind one of the most inept and one of the most corrupt leaders Afghanistan has ever seen, Dr. Ghani, G-H-A-N-I, who apparently now, according to some documents, uh, received millions of dollars in bribery from the government of Qatar in Persian Gulf to actually leave the country and allow Taliban to come in. Uh, The other thing that we are not told is what kind of understanding Washington, in this case Biden administration, reached with Pakistan. Because Pakistan, the neighbor to the south of Afghanistan, has been the power behind the Taliban. And it's a very well-known secret that Pakistan's ISI, uh, military intelligence, uh, was actually uh, you know, the institution which built the Taliban, which armed the Taliban, which financed the Taliban. So uh, the, the, the suggestions are that the United States actually allowed Pakistan uh, to take over Afghanistan through the Taliban, because Taliban is nothing but the puppet of the Pakistani regime. Uh, all of this uh, has been sort of poo-pooed and ignored by a media which has become so, bi- uh, so partisan and so shallow that it refuses to analyze anything anymore. And, of course, uh, we are condemned to sort of learn this by reading between the lines and listening or uh, reading uh, foreign media and uh, 
various newspapers and journals which are published in Europe and beyond. So uh, if you want to find out uh, the truth about Afghanistan, good luck. You would not get it from Washington. You would not get it from our esteemed media outlets. We're going to come right back and take uh, take more calls. We have, let's see, Rick, Harry, and Dave lined up to uh, talk with uh, with our guests, Dr. Michael Mayer, Dr. Mirdad Kia, for Global Hotspots, which will continue after this. Join Mark. My name is Teresa Barber. I was in the United States Navy, and I served overseas in the Middle East and Africa. Early on in my career, I had a commander that taught our suicide prevention training, and the very next day, he took his own life. of suicide attempts involving a gun are fatal. My way of continuing my service is to help protect my community by being a responsible gun owner and by storing firearms safely. Store all your guns securely. Help stop suicide. Brought to you by End Family Fire and the Ad Council. They were back. This is Talk Back. It's Global Hotspots, special edition of Talk Back this morning. And our, our, our guests in the studio, of course, uh, Dr. Michael Mayer joining us on the phone, Dr. Mirdad Kia. And uh, we have Rick has been waiting a long time. Rick, thank you for your patience. Please go ahead. You're on with our guests. Thank you. Um, I have a couple comments. First would be on the balloon. Um, I've been across eastern Montana several times. And I would have to believe that a balloon that comes down six miles off the coast of the Carolinas has as much chance of hitting a boat or a boat full of people as uh, cattle or humans in eastern Montana. The military intelligence that's been cut the mustard there for me. And a comment on the State of the Union. Uh, We've elected officials to uh, do their job in government, so I would implore my conservative uh, representatives in this state or any other state to attend the State of the Union. They do not have to stand. They do not have to applaud. They, but I don't want them seeing them ripping up papers, yelling, and acting like a fool. And uh, uh, they need to do their job. And part of that is attending these sort of things. And that's all I have to say. Well, I will tell you, if Rick, if I may just address real quick your yeah. your, your question there at the end. I spoke with uh, Senator Daines and uh, a Congressman Rosendale in the last couple of days, both. They're both going to be there, and they both will have special guests from Montana uh, to come to. Each one is allowed to bring a, a guest to the State of the Union address. So at least two of the three, and I know Zinke will be there as well. Well, thanks, thanks for doing that. And uh, uh, just I implore all conservatives to attend because that's what they've been elected to do. Don't be a narcissist. You got it's not it. all about you and, and, and how you feel. Thank you. Rick, thanks for the call, and thank you for holding so long. We appreciate it, sir. Uh, up next, Harry. Harry, good morning. You're on Talkback with our guests. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, since we're rehashing about Afghanistan, uh, first of all, I, I don't think we should have pulled out of there at all. I think we should have left people there. But this idea that we left all these weapons for, to the Taliban, that's good, good partisan talk, talking points, but we left them for the Afghani army. I mean, if we would just said, okay, we're going to pull our stuff out and leave you guys with nothing, that would have been even worse, wouldn't it? And the fact that they, uh, I, I feel sorry for the women, but the men, I don't feel sorry for them because they didn't fight for their country. They just walked away. Their armies just walked away. You know, you say, you know, Taliban, they are near, near as powerful as the Russian army and the Russian, uh, the, uh, uh, Ukrainians, they fought and they, they're still fighting. And they, and, you know, they, we thought they're going to get fold as, but then they didn't, so we started giving back money or giving them support. But at the time we didn't. But Afghan, they did. They had all this weaponry, they had training, and they just dropped it and walked away and let Taliban take over. So, 
you know, it's uh, it was a, there was one congressman who said uh, he's a guy, or I think, or maybe a senator. He has a missing the eye. He wears the eye patch, and he lost it over there. And he, you know, had been military. And he said this was uh, it didn't matter how we pulled out of uh, Afghanistan. It, if we pull out, it's going to turn out this, this way. It just happened a lot quicker than they would have if we, you know, did it slower. But in the end, Taliban was going to take over anyhow. So, and I, I, I agree with him. I mean, the, uh, I, I agree we pulled out. Our pullout was terrible, but I don't think we should have pulled out in the first place. So, I say it just, you know, it's, it's a good partisan politics, you know, talking points, but it uh, really doesn't, um, to me, it, it's, it is just that. Uh, the, 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 the gentleman partisan. you're talking about is Dan Crenshaw, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Well, Harry, yeah, yeah good, good points. Thanks, thanks for the call. Gentlemen, your response to Harry's uh, statement. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I, I think um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a point in what he said, but there's also the point <laughs> at which if you, if you leave the Afghan army without leadership, without intelligence, um, it's more likely to collapse, and those weapons are much more likely to wind up in the hands of the Taliban than if you have a more orderly withdrawal. Yeah, I mean, the the comparison between Ukraine and Afghanistan is actually very misleading. Uh, Ukraine is a European country organized by European political institutions. Though under Soviet Union, Ukraine has had an army, a bureaucracy, a functioning government for uh, decades. And uh, Afghanistan is basically a tribal society ethnically, linguistically, religiously divided. When we went in, we knew it will take a long time to create a national army out of a country which is not a nation. Uh, Afghanistan contains many national groups, ethno-linguistic groups, religious groups. Uh, It takes time to create a national army. But more than that, I think anybody who knows anything about Afghanistan knows that the reason uh, that army fought for as long as it fought, and by the way, thousands of Afghan men that you just demeaned uh, fought and died in the name of their country, for their country. Uh, The numbers are in thousands. These are Afghan soldiers who fought and were killed. The reason they fought is because they had air support. They had helicopter support. They had jet fighters flying over there. There was intelligence coming from AVAXs in terms of the movement of Taliban forces. Once United States left Afghanistan, there was no air support. There was no real air support. There was no moral, psychological support which encourages this army, which is very young and very disjointed, to actually continue fighting. And when you have a leadership which is as corrupt as I mentioned, which receives bribery from foreign governments to leave the country to the hands of a terrorist organization. Why should you fight? That was the question that the Afghan army officers were asking. Who am I fighting for? A United States that is abandoning us or a government which is bribed left and right? Very good points, gentlemen. And with that, we're up against another break. We have uh, uh, Mr. Wingnut also on the line, and I believe one other caller. 721-1290 is our number. It's Global Hotspots. We have another about 18 minutes. So if you would like to weigh in or ask a question, uh, the phone line is 721-1290. Or if you have the KGVO app, 
We'd be more than happy to just click that uh, message us button and Nick will pass it along to our guests. We'll be back right after this. Thinking about retirement? Make sure a My Social Security account is a part of your plan. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can find out if you're eligible to receive benefits, compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates, view spousal benefit estimates, and more. Plan for your future. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Need to replace your Social Security card? In most states, you can request one online with a My Social Security account. A My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal earnings history and benefit status. You can also get a proof of income letter, estimate and apply for benefits, and more. Save time. Go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And we're back on Talk Back. Uh, it's the Global Hotspots. Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. Dr. Mirdad Kia uh, joining us uh, remotely on his phone. And let's uh, continue on. Uh, Mr. Wingnut is waiting. Mr. Nutt, you're on with our guests. Please go ahead, sir. Yes, good morning. You know, I took the opportunity to listen to that song that uh, Murdad was talking about, and and I urge uh, folks to listen to that. You know, that's just a, an astounding song, and and you know we don't, you know, the Western societies in the United States, we so undervalue the unique opportunity that that we've been presented with, or that has been handed down to us. You know, it's so unique in the history of of governments is so unique in the, what is exists in this world. Um, and they say, you know, all politics is local. And just to urge folks to, to listen to that song, to think about what we have, to think about where our focus is, um, and, and you know, the freedoms that we have are, are so wonderful. That's all I had to say. Thanks for the call, sir. Gentlemen. I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, Mr. Wing not just said it all. Um, what is that song all about? I've been asked so many times. What do they want? Why did this young man sing a lie? I sing this amazing song. And my answer to that is they are asking. That whole revolution is about something so simple we cannot even believe it. They are fighting for normal life. They are fighting for a life in which they can come out of the, their homes dressed the way they want to, speak the way they want to, eat what they want to, vote for what they want to, and not be told constantly every minute, every hour of the day how they should think, how they should vote, how they should dress, how they should uh, eat, and so on and so forth. They're fighting for normal life. And they want a government which is based on the voice and the vote of the people. And they want a normal foreign policy in which their country is not at war with, you know, two-thirds of the world. And they have a friendly relationship with their neighbors. 
That's what they want. I have uh, I, I pulled up the uh, the the website Variety, and it, it says here uh, regarding that uh, the lyrics to Baraye are taken entirely from messages that Iranians have posted online regarding their reasons for protesting. Each begins with the word Baraye, which means for, as you said, or because of, in Farsi. In the song, Hajipur sings lyrics such as for dancing in the streets, for kissing loved ones, and for women, life, freedom, which crowds have often chanted during the protests following Amini's death. So, there you go. Yeah. All right, so let, let's, uh, let's get another call in. This is Dave. Dave is back. Dave, good morning. You're back on with our guests. Go ahead. Yes, about Afghanistan. First of all, I, I don't think Pakistan's too happy with the Taliban right now after that bombing. But, uh, you know, Afghan people, you know, they sure they were angry at their past government, but I, I can't imagine them. It's a far worse now with the Taliban in. Uh, I, I'm wondering, what are the tribes around the country thinking? I mean, they can, they beat the Russians without air support. They beat the United States without air support. Uh, can they beat? Why not? Why not a revolution that kicked the Taliban out? Is there any any hope of that? That's a very good question. Uh, or or no, with, that, go, yeah, go ahead, Mirdad, please. Yeah, Dave, thank you for that excellent question. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you are right. They beat the Russians, but they beat the Russians uh, without air support, but with incredible amount of support. Uh, from United States, including right. the Central Intelligence Agency, from Pakistan's ISI, from Iran, from Saudi Arabia, and with thousands of uh, Muslims out of Afghanistan going there to fight in the name of a holy war. And they bogged down, you know, the Russian forces got bogged down. Uh, 14,000 were killed, and Soviet Union had no other option but to leave. The Afghans are brilliant when a foreign power invades their country. They join. Once that foreign power leaves, then they go their own way and they start fighting among themselves. I think there is not much hope of getting rid of Taliban as long as the anti-Taliban forces inside and outside country are not supported by a major power. And right now, I do not see either United States or its allies even thinking remotely of ever helping the Afghan opposition. Well, may I ask just real, just real quick? You, you look at look at what's going on in the United States and in Russia and and all, all the other, if you will, more civilized countries. They're all dealing with incredible problems right now, whether it's inflation, whatever it might be. And and to be able to 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 put that aside and say we're going to go help these folks in Afghanistan, I I'm not sure. I, I don't see it happening. Plus the the exhaustion of the long long war there. Right. Right. But I think there are a couple of things that that need to be taken into account. One of them is that the United States was never willing to use the kind of savage uh, reprisals uh, and uh, on the, on the, particularly on the civilian population that the, the, the Taliban have used to keep, to maintain power. And that going back to the point that Meridad made is that the, uh, the, the defeat of the Taliban initially, uh, or the defeat of the Russians, rather, was at the hands of... Uh, People who had a lot of support from the United States, including anti-helicopter missiles and and things like that, that um, enabled them to sustain their opposition. So, uh, you know, the conditions are are different now. Yeah. And also, I think um, after uh, our 
involvement in Iraq, uh, which lasted for so many years after Afghanistan, I think the mood in Washington is to avoid uh, long-term occupations and military uh, involvements, at least for many years to come. Okay. Uh, Dave, you're back. Go ahead. Hello? Is there somebody else on? Oh, D- uh, Dave, are you there? I, I guess we lost him. Anyway, so, uh, gentlemen, we're, we're up against a break, our last break. Uh, that means all of our phone lines are open, with the exception of uh, the one that Beer Dad is on right now. Uh, if you have a question or comment for Global Hotspots and you've been waiting for an opportunity, here it is. We have about eight minutes left in the show. So if you haven't had a chance to comment yet, please give us a call at 721-1290. We'll be back right after this. Okay, we're back. This is Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And uh, joining us on the phone right now is Dr. Beardad Kia here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. So, gentlemen, in the absence of calls, uh, we have about seven and a half minutes for you to continue on any topic that you uh, would like to talk about. So, Mike, how about well, you? Well, 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 go ahead. Beardad, go, go ahead. No, I wanted Mike to comment on this because um, I think what we have not talked about, and it's extremely important, is the situation in Ukraine, uh, the conflict and the violence continues. And uh, the whole question of, you know, to what degree United States and its European allies should go uh, to help Mr. Zelensky uh, and his government uh, has become uh, very central to discussions in Washington. And, uh, you know, whether they should be supplied with tanks, uh, now, jet fighters, you know, have been also uh, sort of requested, but I think turned down. And I think for the next several months, at least, uh, this discussion would be a very important issue in Washington and in various European capitals. So, Mike, if you could comment on that, I would appreciate it. And we do have two, two callers waiting now, so go ahead. Well, just briefly, I think that's right. It's going to be a very difficult and contested topic. Already there are people both on the left and the right who are questioning America's uh, commitment to uh, supply weaponry and so on to, to Ukraine and to and, and the extent of the weaponry. And uh, particularly there's, there's caution about what is deemed offensive, you know, that can be used uh, beyond defensive purposes, and again, that's a very that's a very fuzzy line. But uh, it, it is it is difficult, and I, I think most people uh, are appalled by the the Russian invasion and the and the brutality of the uh, of of the way the Russians are conducting the war. But the, again, the, the question of money of of even depleting American. Uh, military resources and so on is, is going to be hotly debated. And the, the, now we're, we've got questions about just how quickly we can ramp up military supply in order to resupply the American military. So there are lots of things that people need to take into account. All right. Uh, let's get Skip on the line. Skip, you're back. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Thank you, sir. I just will globetrot a little here if possible because of what just happened with the balloon and what may uh, come out of that. Uh, do we have to have our antenna up now as to China's uh, w- intentions as to, uh, I'll say, t- Taiwan? And, and, and how important is that to our, like, computer chip market and things like that that we have to be careful of? Could we gear up for something? Good question. I'll leave it at that. And thank you for a wonderful hour, sir. Thank you. Okay, gentlemen, uh, Mirdad. Those, those are really good questions. And I think there, there are a couple of, of points uh, to make there. I mean, one of them is that China has a dominant position in manufacturing batteries for uh, electric vehicles. And 
Western companies and, and Western countries are trying to mobilize quickly their resources to be able to produce these things. But even at that, the um, the materials that go into those batteries all, uh, also come from China, especially rare earths. Uh, and one of the more interesting things fairly recently, a Swedish company discovered some large deposits of rare earths in Europe. But there's a question about whether um, uh, environmentalists will block the ability to mine those. Uh, so uh, there, uh, again, there there are a lot of issues with respect to China. And I think I, I'd refer people to a book by Frank. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's either Dicoder or Decoder. Um, it's a Dutch name who wrote a book called China After Mao, which is a, is a very good book in which he argues that the West, West made a grave miscalculation by uh, banking on uh, Chinese liberalism in exchange for uh, opening the economy. And what's emerged is a, a planned state economy. Um, China still has five-year plans. Uh, the Chinese government owns major industrial uh, companies. And um, I, I, I think that, you know, again, the entire policy with respect to China needs to be considered pretty carefully. Um, let's get the next question. Okay, we uh, have uh, one more caller. Larry's back. Larry, go ahead. We've got about three minutes. Go ahead, sir. Yes, uh, I know uh, Iran has a history of uh, uh, democratic governors under the Shah, but, and we're wrapped up in all the emotions of the struggle uh, for freedom. And we've seen this in Africa over and over again, where you overthrow one regime and you end up with another dictatorial uh, regime taking its place. And I wonder if you could comment a little bit about what you feel the future of Iran would be if they are able to uh, depose the dictatorial government in there. Wow, yeah. that, that opens up a world of possibilities, doesn't it? Okay. Yeah, we should have a separate <laughs> show about that. Thanks, Larry. But, uh, Larry, thank you very much for that excellent question. Uh, Iran had, had uh, in fact, it was the first country in the Islamic world to have a constitutional revolution and a modern form of constitutional government as early as 1906. Uh, that 1906 constitution uh, was destroyed by Russian forces, um, and uh, again, the Iranians restored it in 1909. That one was also destroyed uh, by a Russian invasion of Iran in 1911. It was restored again during the First World War, and again in 1920s. So uh, the idea of free press, political parties, a system of government based on law is not new in Iran. It's been there for over 120 years or so. But the, the, the issue is the sustenance and its preservation because it has many enemies. And among the biggest enemies, uh, aside from Russia as the outside power, was always the clergy, was always the Muslim clergy, which felt threatened by the ideas of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, the existence of political parties, the rights of women to be full, uh, uh, equal citizens uh, in a society which was open and democratic. And the result of this is the new Islamic regime. Well, it's not new, which has been ruling the country in the last 40 years. Gentlemen, to restore that democratic order, we need them to go. We have, we have exactly one minute book club coming up. Uh, yeah. what's 
Um, on February 20th, we'll be talking about John McWhorter's book, Woke Racism. McWhorter's name is M-C-W-H-O-R-T-E-R. He's a professor at Columbia University who's actually a linguist but has written three books about black America, um, one, Losing the Race, and the second one, um, Authentically Black, deal with the questions of, of culture and achievement that, that were raised by Hillbilly Elegy. But Woke Racism is his most recent, and it looks at things from a slightly different angle. Mir Dad, always a pleasure, sir. Look forward to our next visit. Same here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, as always, Mike, thanks for dropping by. Thanks very much. Don't forget your coffee. All right. What's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous show, Mr. Nick? It's the Montana World Affairs Council from 830 to 10 with Bob Seidenschwartz and a special guest. All right. So there you go. We're taking you all over the world, ladies and gentlemen, and right up your street. I think there's a song in there somewhere. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6.